Hi, and welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I am your host, Steve Bissell. I'm an author and mental health counselor. Are you curious about therapy? Do you feel there is a lot of mystery about therapy? Do you wonder what your therapist is doing and why? The goal of this podcast is to make therapy and psychology accessible to all by using real language and straight-to-the-point discussions. This podcast wants to remind you to take care of your mental health, just like you would your physical health. Therapy should not be intimidating. It should be a great way to better health. I will demystify what happens in counseling, discuss topics related to mental health, and discussions you can have with your therapist. I also want to introduce psychology in everyday life, as I feel most of our lives are enmeshed in psychology. I want to introduce the subtle and not-so-subtle ways psychology plays a factor in our lives. It will be my own mix of thoughts as well as special guests. So join me on this discovery of therapy and psychology. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7. If you haven't had a chance, I hope you listen to Episode 6. Episode 6 is where I discuss what first happens when you sit down. I hope that it's helpful to you. But how I like to think about a session and how I like to think about this podcast is the first session is also where insurance companies want us to give a diagnosis. I'm not a huge fan of diagnosis. I'll tell you why. But really what I thought was important is that a lot of people like ask me about what's my diagnosis and or why is it this diagnosis and what it looks like and why do you not put a lot of weight onto diagnosing. So if you're from the research community, I hope you listen to this and I really do hope that insurance companies also listen to this because I think that there are a few good points in here. And I think that if you're a client and you're like, well, I was told that I have blank. First of all, we need to discuss that. But at the end of the day, we need to figure out how a diagnosis is not what you should be labeled for the rest of your life. So let me get on my soapbox right off the top and tell you that my biggest problem with diagnosing starts with how people look at themselves once they're diagnosed. So if you give someone major depression disorder, they tend to go, well, I'm a depressed person. Well, you're not a depressed person. You're a person with a diagnosis of depression. That doesn't mean that's who you are. Same thing goes for anxiety. You know, I have, I have, I've, I've got anxiety. Well, no, you have a diagnosis of the anxiety. You happen to have more anxiety than others, but that's not something that's forever. And there's ways to address that. So the, my first biggest beef with diagnosing is people use it to identify who they are. And I think that if you are curious on how to identify yourself, I would love for you to just hear this from my whole podcast. Don't use a diagnosis to identify yourself to anyone in this world. So let's start off with that. But after I get off my soapbox, let's go a little more technical here. So the Bible of therapy, counseling, and diagnosing is the DSM-5. And now it's cool because it's a number five, not V anymore. It's a long story. So there's been more than five versions. Off the top of my head, I think there's been eight versions of DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's based on research, or so they say. And I think that that's, I'm going to spare you all the details around that. The other thing, too, is that the diagnosing manual has had some preliminary diagnosis that they just threw in, and there's some weird stuff in there that I'm just, you know, it's no longer there. Thankfully, I'm going to save that information, too. If you want to look it up, you'll see. But at the end of the day, the, di- the DSM-5 at times was very disparaging for certain communities, particularly I would think about uh, sexual orientation 
and stuff like that. So for me, let's start off with the history of DSM-5 not being statistical sometimes, and it's just being what they want to put as a label. They've gotten a lot better, obviously, but I want to say that. So diagnosing through DSM-5 talks about criteria. Not all of them are like that, but it's usually you got to meet a certain amount of criteria. So three out of seven criteria or five out of nine or one out of three or just one, depending on what it is. And there are clusters and there's different diagnoses. So you can have depression that is mild, moderate, or severe. You can have a first episode, single episode, multiple episodes, recurrent. And I can't remember all the technical words they use, but they use a lot of this these words in order to really get into different types of, so make it look a lot more professional. The stuff that they talk about, the insurance companies, again, you can listen all you want, but I also would encourage you that to tell you that I just don't care about your diagnosing. Usually for me, I'll go with the, the, the most mild diagnosis I can give to a client because I don't think it's going to be guiding my therapy. I'm going to be, I work with symptoms. I don't work with a diagnosis. And if a person is struggling with a lot of mood issues, anxiety or depression because of a trauma, I'm not saying, well, let's treat the trauma. No, let's look at those things to manage your emotions so that you can address the trauma. So these diagnoses just get on my nerves. Let's talk about my trauma with diagnosis also. So I remember in my undergrad, when we first did abnormal psychology, I remember going through at the time, it was the DSM. 3R, I believe, if I'm remembering it correctly. And the professor made us go through all the criteria and every single diagnosis, because that's what we're supposed to do, right? And I remember one of the professors, after we were getting close to, I don't know, three quarters through the class, and we would look most at manual and all the diagnosis, he asked us, all right, a show of hands, how many of you think you have all these diagnoses in the book? And it was funny because most of us put our hands up and he was talking about how some of these symptoms are so confusing that we can all have them. So I think that at the end of the day, learning to see the diagnosis as a guide, but not see it as what you are and what the person is, is very important. So I think that that's why for me, I, that's my, you know, I remember this from, this is, we're talking about 97, 98. And I'll always remember that as in basically that's how precise the diagnostic manual is. And for those who are research fellows, one of the things I've learned a long time ago when I went to a very research-based school for my undergrad, McGill University, is that what we're trying to work on is null hypothesis. And we're trying to prove it that it's not right. We're hoping, and Albert Einstein would say the same thing, E equals MC square should be something that we disprove eventually. Not that I don't think it's going to happen, but basically it's a theory. That's the best theory we have. But if we can come up with a better theory, that's what we got to do. And DSM-5 is a great book of theories, but that doesn't mean that they cannot be disproved. So that's why, you know, when I hear insurance companies say, well, you need a diagnosis. Well, it's just a theory. It's not the right thing. Yes, it's the best theory we have, but that's why I have a, a lot of problems with that. The other thing that I would talk about is that as a country, as a folk, so to speak, we fall in love with diagnosing people. So in the late 80s, early 90s, everyone had ADHD, and I know it's coming back, but it was ADHD. Then it became everyone had bipolar. And then now we're looking at the spectrum diagnosis, the uh, autistic spectrum disorder. And we're using that one overly used, in my opinion, at this point. I do that too. 
I, I'd like to tell you that I'm immune to that and I'm no better than anyone. I'm a human being who works hard, but I also think that sometimes I fall in love with some diagnosis. That's the other problem I feel with the DSM and the diagnosis is that if I fall in love with bipolar, everyone's going to be bipolar, but that doesn't mean that's true. And we don't challenge ourselves enough. And DSM-5 was made to be challenged that way so that you can look at your symptomology of the client and see how you can address that differently. But we truly don't do that. And if a therapist here tells me that, you know, will write back to me and say, well, I do that, that'd be great. But a large majority of the therapists I know stick with one diagnosis for a long period of time. And I think that the diagnosis change is probably what's best. So if someone's showing up with a lot of attention issues, and that could be attention deficit disorder, could be attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or it could be also that they've been through a significant trauma and because they don't want to think about it, they're getting, di- they're getting dis- distracted very easily. So the good thing is to be able to change a diagnosis and also not be your diagnosis means that you no longer are an ADHD person. You are perhaps someone who's been through trauma and starting to identify yourself as a person with a diagnosis versus the diagnosis is probably my biggest goal with any of my clients. When I work with my clients, I don't think about, oh, look, the depressed person's coming in or, oh, look, the trauma person's coming in. No, John's coming in, Jane's coming in. And I think that that's why I think sometimes the diagnosis that we do, and if people are very attached to their diagnosis, we lose sight on the treatment. So that's why diagnosis is not the end all, that be all. Thank you for listening to episode seven. I really hope that it was informative for you. I truly enjoyed doing this. Episode eight, for the record, will be probably one of my favorites so far. And I'm hoping to have more like that that are fun. But I know that it's going to be interesting to see who will tune in. So episode eight is with someone I know, Lisa Dennis, and we're going to talk about pro wrestling and how pro wrestling and psychology are very much related. And I know that that might seem far-fetched, but since you've been listening for now seven episodes, listen to episode eight so I can prove my point. If you don't agree after episode eight, let's talk about it. But the conversation will be with Lisa Dennis. We are going to talk about professional wrestling and how it is related to psychology in everyday mental health stuff that we actually do. So I hope you join us. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All comments are always welcome. Always enjoy hearing from you. And I hope to see you on episode eight.